This is Anne Magnuson, Admiral Clancy on Star Trek Picard, and you've got the sheer fucking hubris to listen to the greatest discovery. Captain? Captain? Welcome to The Greatest Discovery, a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. <laughs> this is a, uh, a strange record, Adam. You're recording not from your house, but from John Roderick's house. Right. Yeah. Is that why I I sound so much more authoritative? <laughs> I'm I'm ready to bullshit you now, Ben. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. Boy, I can't wait. Yeah. Your house is all packed up. It's it's been a real couple of weeks, and it's all coming to a point. Like just about now, actually, is when everything <laughs> is happening. All of these months mm. are are ending uh, in in the yeah. next hour or so. It's it's great timing by us. This is how great podcasts are made when one of the hosts is at the apex of his stress. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna get my best work today. I'm sure of it. <laughs> I think it's where great comedy comes from, right? Trauma? That's what everyone says. I mean, it's tragedy plus time. Yeah. It, no one ever says trauma plus time. No. <laughs> it occurs to me that that's what this series is actually kind of about. Like, Oh, yeah. We were criticized for not spending much time on the conversation between Seven of Nine and Picard about how much it sucks to have been a B and now be an XB. That was like the main takeaway of that episode for me. And I thought I said so. This episode is about like deepening that and- Absolutely. And the trauma plus timeness of basically every character in right. this, in the series is on full display in this episode. <laughs> Yeah, it absolutely is. I think that's that's probably a great segue into episode, Ben. I wasn't imagining that uh, that my life would apply so neatly to what's going on here in <laughs> in Star Trek Picard season one, episode six, the Impossible Box. Yeah, and and, and perfectly mapping onto your life. Uh, the opening is of kind of a spookily empty house with rain battering the window could be seattle for all we know yeah not today it's it's really glorious today the, the city is uh giving me its best before i break up with it giving you a sweet kiss goodbye i want to throw something out there to you and to anyone else within the sound of my voice do you think they're using alternate takes for the last time on package kind of feel like they are like these oh, angles look different the dialogue's the same but uh i haven't a bead them. I feel like they're giving us different looks here, and I like it. I like it if it's true. Wow, uh, that's really fucking with the reality. If it's uh -huh. true, uh -huh. <laughs> maybe intentionally. It's fun, but if I'm not right, what does that mean about me and my and my powers of observation? I don't know. It means you got you. You're eighty percent brain right now. You know. I really am. Eighty percent is is more than most people's 60%. That's what I think. I concur. I totally agree with that. I think most people's 
<laughs> is uh, <laughs> that's what your eighty percent is. <laughs> Soji is having dreams about being young and uh and like like most young people she's having a hard time sleeping and she wants to seek out her daddy cuz cuz she can't. So she she's she pushes open his his office door. He works from home. I guess that's one thing we know about him, about Bruce Maddox. Uh and I don't know if you have this rule at your home office Ben, but uh no one is allowed into the into the home studio. I'm I'm a Bruce Maddox that way. Yeah, I I wish I was. I have my my home studio is also the guest bedroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which uh, really cramps my style. Like, oh yeah, you're gonna see my giant Rubbermaid tub full of Star Trek toys people have mailed us, yeah. and like a extremely thick pile of tour posters from two years ago that we didn't sell. There's no shame in that game. <laughs> I want to sell out our tour posters. I thought for sure Soji would do that thing that everyone does in a dream from time to time is like walk into a bathroom and start peeing and then, oh no. You wake up and it's not actually a bathroom. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is not what happens. Instead, her dad yells at her and then she wakes up in Narek's bed. Is it Narek's bed or her bed? I guess it is Narek's bed because it's got all the plants around, right? Yeah, yeah. He's got those those uh, those very expensive herb gardens. I'm gonna get a harvest two to four weeks early by starting your plants inside. Narek's involved in the loyalty program at Williams Sonoma, so right. he realized he could like he could like juke the system by buying six at once. No one has the Williams Sonoma credit card except for Narek. He saw the value in that. <laughs> yeah. The scene where Narek tends to Soji made me think a lot about that parachute scene in Pearl Harbor, the improvised softbox that you can make in a scene like this. In Pearl Harbor, they use parachutes and the light was coming in and it softens everything up real nice. Under this sheet in bed, you get that same effect. It's very, very flattering. Yeah. They look great. Yeah. These two lovebirds. He's sort of lovebirding her, but also plying her for information about- the dream, like, uh, would you say that it was like a uh, dream that your mind made up at random or based on a real memory? And uh, she's like, weird question. Uh, <laughs> don't know. What would you say your heart rate was at around this time in, in approximate <laughs> beats per minute? I'm just going to put this blood pressure cuff on you. Yeah. He's like, I know, but I want you to tell me what you think it was. <laughs> right. I don't think this would fly in most relationships this amount of interrogation. It's suspicious at all times, but it's growing in suspicion for Soji as more and more of these scenes happen. You know, I thought a lot about this and like she is very suspicious of him in many scenes leading up to this episode, but I think um, the shiftiness and it's always a game of chess with themness of Mm -hmm. Romulans maybe makes her... Slightly more open to his his. Uh, That's a great call. It's just Narek being Narek. If he was a Klingon, she would expect him to be like singing Melota to her. Yeah. Uh, but because it's a Romulan, he's like asking her extremely probing questions and not revealing his his real name. Rom's gonna rom. <laughs> Rom's are gonna rom. Yeah. I just you know like I want to find a Romulan that I can change. <laughs> I want a I want a project Romulan. Yeah. Good luck with that. 
They they don't seem like fixer-uppers, Ben. They seem pretty sure of themselves. They seem like the type of people that has uh, a very strong city council idea of of not changing anything about them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Romulans are in the streets protesting, protected by Hellanes. Yeah, yeah. This scene ends with a, uh, a little moment of Soji reflecting on a picture of her mom and her and her sister as younger girls. And uh, it's it's on a, a table with some some like... I don't know, some chalks or some paints or something. And then some uh, some of those like wooden artist models, like the model of the hand and the model of the body that you can put into pose. She raided the Michaels craft store on, <laughs> on the Borg Cube. Every place yeah. has a Michaels. It doesn't matter how big or small your, your town is. Uh, mm-hmm. And the same goes for the artifact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One one thing that has been like greatly overstated about the Federation is that it's a ut- utopia. It's just better than the present because they've outlawed Hobby Lobby. Uh-huh. They've right. gone all Michaels. Right. Yeah. No need to apologize. Excuse me. Now, uh, the next scene in the episode is uh, the scene I'll call the in-butt, out-butt scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the scene where Agnes Gerardi is talking to Picard about... Uh, Bruce Maddox and how and why he died lying to him because we know that she did something to the bio bed to cause his uh, to cause him to die. Those that didn't like the amount of gore in the last episode will not like this scene uh, because Dr. Gerardi is wearing basically like that that white rubber smock and she is covered in Bruce Maddox blood. Like, like she's fucking Bill the Butcher, Fear. having just done the post mortem. Yeah, uh, in butts, uh, Elnor, who uh, you know wants to wants to get in on this conversation. Elnor has uh, got a very data like role in this show. I want to say like early early TNG data, where he doesn't understand the ways of the people he's on a spaceship with. Yeah, he's less lame than data though. Data season one and two didn't seem that funny to me, but Elnor is very funny to me this season. Yeah, and uh, and cool because yeah. he can waste tail shears right with with abandon. It's pretty clear from this scene that Doctor Gerardi's evil, right? Because she's straight up lying to Picard about the circumstances of Bruce Maddox's death when when Elnor arrives. She's forever changed. Yeah. I- we talked earlier in the series about what she was maybe being set up for because I felt like she had been given a full like call to adventure hero's arc beginning mm-hmm. and I'm now seeing that that was misdirection and that she's she's really kind of a mystery. She's definitely not the protagonist but I don't get the sense that she killed Bruce Maddox out of bloodlust, you know? Yeah. It seems like she is doing something that she doesn't feel personally capable of doing. You know, like she she is clearly feeling ultra guilty about about doing a murder. Yeah. I mean, if she was truly evil, I think she'd be colder about this. I think right. you're probably right about that. Yeah, and that's like where where Elnor is like a fun 
character to introduce to the scene when he inputs. He's like, yeah, you seem like you feel real bad about something and you want to not be feeling that right now. And she's like, fuck off. <laughs> it leaves the possibility open of her character redemption, too, at the end. Right. It seems like she can fix this. Yeah. If we find out that O has a metaphorical gun to her parents' heads or something like that. This scene is really great. And I think the reason why is that Gerardi does that thing where she describes someone else's story to Elnor and Patrick Stewart's face and entire carriage changes completely when he hears his own story said back to him. Uh, and Picard is clearly pissed, like first contact pissed when he starts thinking about all the things that he went through. And then he's, yeah. and then he storms off to go smash something uh, over in his ready room. He's like, I must have some little ships around here somewhere. No! He compares the Borg to cancer. And, yeah. uh, you know, like, we talked a lot when on Greatest Generation we were reviewing TNG. And, like, you know, there's one episode after after he is ex-bead mm-hmm. that he has some cries in the mud with his brother. But it, it never seemed like he really truly dealt with what happened to him and it seems like that's what this is you know like and and especially in this episode when he's returning to the cube it it's like he is he is back to like full fight or flight about what he's about to experience i wonder if there's a way to enjoy this show just as completely if you were to stop watching TNG after the family episode in season four, uh, take the rest of your time off of Star Trek and pop back (laughs) in for Star Trek Picard because the tragedy of having a pre-serialization television show is that you and I, as we were watching TNG for the hit podcast, The Greatest Generation... We saw all of the meat on this story bone. Like this should yeah. have, it was the moment that show could have pivoted to serialization and for the rest of the series could have been about the grapple with this, with this idea in this past. There's right. so much here. Like he literally does like Google image search of Borgs. Yeah. And it's just scrolling through the top hits until he comes to his, his own image and uh, they've done this a couple of times, the like see-through screens of this show being uh, <laughs> being used to superimpose one face on another. But this is just his old Locutus face on, on him. Production-wise, it's so much more elegant and fun to do it this way. Like how many times have we seen any movie or television show where someone is doing computer research and you have to do shot reverse shot of face and screen, but you get it all in one here in a way that that is great. Like the hollow screen is definitely being used for story purposes and Mm -hmm. not just a, hey, look at this neat techno thing that we can simulate with computer graphics. That super imposition with Lacutus's face over Picard's gives us uh, the very rare Lacutus eyes to theme, Ben. <laughs> it's pretty heavy. Indeed. I mean, I know we were promised a Star Trek Picard series that had a lot to do with the Borg, but this is the moment where I'm starting to realize just how 
just how central the Borg are to this story. And it's and at this moment in the episode, I got really excited. Yeah. And for a guy that uh, drinks as much as he does, Captain Rios's bod is really rocking. I know, right? Good bod. Tight abs, v- V-shaped torso. Should I be doing soccer ball workouts? Like if I was uh, if I was out in a field like tapping a soccer ball back and forth between my feet, would I have six-pack abs? Couple of things about that. I don't know <laughs> that the soccer ball workout works that way with the core. Though though you may be mm-hmm. using the ball in different ways. This ball to me looked a lot like a dismembered BB-8 body, though. I wonder if that was intentional. <laughs> The way Rios is kicking this thing around. But yeah, like you can put the ball up under your, your back and do like some crunches and stuff. I'm sure maybe maybe he's doing that kind of workout. It's like one one piece of gear. If you're going to work out barefoot, like playing soccer on deck plating, your feet have got to be shredded, right? Yeah. Rios seems like he's used to being like all alonesies on this ship. So that's uh, an interesting function is that he's like doing his workout just kind of out in the main part of the ship. Yeah. And Agnes Durati is clearly like, uh, you know, spent a night haunted uh, <laughs> and maybe got up early because of that. As, as a man who spends most of my nights haunted, I can really, I can really uh, see myself in this moment. She's haunted and horny. <laughs> she interrupts the soccer ball workout and uh, she wants to work out some balls of her own. If I've recently exercised, my wife wants nothing to do with me. Yeah. But this this sweaty guy, he gets some action. Rios is great. Rios is really like, he's already top of the charts for me. Like, he's top of the mountain on this show so far, as far as characters go. He is really great in this scene. Like, from the start, he's been someone whose arm has been twisted into this mission. But I think he sincerely wants to listen to Chirati in this scene, who's clearly really struggling and uh yeah. and he's totally game uh to fuck her if that's what she wants him to do it's it's funny like the way Gerardi puts it he's like hey babe how are you feeling and she says four words hollow hopeless lonely afraid now rios's dick can fix two of those things <laughs> and i think he knows that he can heal with his steel yeah <laughs> <laughs> pretty fun uh she kind of she kind of backs off the uh inevitability of their of their fucking for the time being but uh yeah we kind of cut from one horny scene to another though when we uh meet up with rizzo and narek right seriously <laughs> rizzo is making fun of narek for uh being a rhombics cube dork the way he puts it though is like it's a it's a meditative device yeah it's a fidget spinner yeah for romulans right the Tanjikran, he calls it. Um, I I have noticed in several close-ups of this thing when somebody you know turns one over, they never get it perfectly flush mm. in the in the turn, and it's driving me fucking crazy. Like <laughs> I don't have like obsessive compulsive or anything, but like but like just the fact that it's that that it's not locking in right. when uh, I researched this. You can buy like off-brand Rubik's cubes that are actually like internally magnetized, so that they they just snap perfectly into alignment when you twist them. I wish they had based this prop off of one of those. 
So your 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 beef with the cube is that it looks like it should be it should it should have some directionality that it doesn't have. Is that what you're saying? No, it's 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 that it's it seems like it doesn't actually work. Like they mm. they got it so that it turns like 87 degrees and not 90 degrees when you when you twist one of the one of these sides of it. Well, I mean that's that's just like the Romulans, you know. Like uh, you can only you can only know them a maximum of eighty seven percent, right? I guess I yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's a fair point, Adam. I don't know why I'm defending the cube so much. <laughs> <laughs> They're talking about the relationship that Narek has with Soji, and uh, Rizzo is basically at her limit. She's like, "All right, you're." You're off the Soji fucking project, and I'm on the Soji uh, torturing and plying for information project. Uh, and he's like, wait, like, she's been telling me about her dreams. And, like, Rizzo's like, I don't care. Right. But uh, but he actually has a plan here, a pretty, a pretty diabolical plan, to his credit. Rizzo's really project-oriented in a way that I admire. Like, she is not taking her eye off the ball at all. Yeah. But uh, yeah, things things really start to happen fast in in this episode. Yeah, because Nerik kind of talks it out in this way, right? Like he he's defending his relationship with Soji, but in doing it, he unlocks a reason to keep working with her the way that he is, which is like right. her dream life may be the key to getting the information we need from her in a way that does not trigger her and set her off like the the synthetic bomb that we know that she is right. and this talks Rizzo off of his off of his dick and they're like fine well if you can do this by uh by getting into her dream life we might finally learn where her home world is yeah i mean it's like uh hey Rizzo, remember those two entire jat vash death squads that bought it because of assuming that they could kill dodge let's try and avoid taking losses like that going forward right I mean, it's a total mystery how many people it would take to kill her. I mean, I guess it took it took one guy with an acid pill before, but I mean that was after how many? Yeah, and he just got lucky because he spit it on the he spit it on the gun. Yeah, it doesn't look like this is a problem you can solve with extra bodies. Back in the La Serena, uh, they're on their way through the old neutral zone on their way into Romulan space. And this is a problem because as soon as they cross that threshold, uh, it becomes a a legal problem for them and also a military problem between the Federation and what remains of the Romulans. Picard is no stranger to unilaterally starting a diplomatic incident with Romulans. But his record lately has been shit. Like, like I, I get the sense from him, like they're approaching the cube and everyone's looking at Picard for a solution. And Picard is like 0 for 6 on ideas about doing things in this series. That's why he's so, that's why he looks over at Elnor and he's like, oh yeah, let's co-op Malat this. Like, let's be, let's be utterly honest. And that means like go in just saying like, hey, Picard wants to meet with the head of the reclamation project personal friend but uh, he has these diplomatic papers and everybody's like how are you gonna get diplomatic papers picard <laughs> remember the uh, cnc of starfleet telling you to go uh you know climb up a flagpole or whatever this is the moment where rios weekend at raffi's her into the chair and onto comms <laughs> yeah raffi has not taken the the uh, meeting with her her son very well 
No. It was, uh, really crawled back into the into the bottle. Yeah, and into the snake too. She's <laughs> she's like uh, she's she's smoking the snake weed. She's hitting the bottle. She's crossfading, Ben. Ooh, yeah, you don't want to do that. She calms up Emmy, which is an old pal of hers. She looks like she's got the four pips of a captain. And uh, does a forgiveness over permission sort of ask. Like she sort of begins with needing a thing and then makes it very clear that they are they are too far gone to turn back without the favor that she's asking Emmy. And Emmy finally capitulates with a 24-hour pass to the cube. Uh, so she helps, but not a lot. Right. And then she sort of hangs up on Raffi in a don't ever call me again kind of way. So it looks like she burned a friendship here for the mission. After reading that novel, kind of the like the main thing about Raffi as a character is that she will set the personal aside for the the mission. Right. Like to an extent that is almost pathological. Yeah. Back on the artifacts, Soji and Narek keep talking about her dreamlike, and Narek is doing that thing that would be pretty irritating to most people, uh, but Soji's curiosity is piqued by his constant needling her about all these conversations she has with her mom, and that they all last exactly 70 seconds. Narek knows this because he has the records of all the comm traffic into and out of the artifact. Yeah. He uh, really drops the veil here. Like, yeah, I'm spying on you. (laughs) Yeah, and it also lets us know as viewers just how much information he is able to get. Like, he, it's pretty clear that he knows everything that's happening on the cube. Is he, I don't want to use the rank, but I mean, he's the captain over there, right? Like, there's probably no one more powerful than he and and Rizzo, right? Everyone has to answer to them, you think? I don't know. I mean, it seems like people are afraid of him, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's sufficient. That's like a uh, do you know who I am kind of thing. Right. Like the the Harvard student who takes too long on their test and then slips it into the middle of the pile. Like everybody walking around in the cube could like theoretically be Tal Shiar or Jat Vash and... and do something horrible to you. Yeah. I'm liking how more and more of that detail is being dosed out to us. It suggests it early on, but now it's really leaning into it that he's a heavy. That's impossible. I can show you the logs. There's a very tender scene between Rios and Rafi. A lot of our names on this show. Rios, Rafi, Rizzo. Yep. What's going on there? But uh, yeah, she's uh, she's really bottoming out, man. Shwasty. She's got half a bottle of uh, <laughs> Blade Runner scotch in her. <laughs> yeah. This is a great scene for Rios, though, right? Like, again, when we met him, he was not a fan of his circumstances or this mission, but he definitely cares for Rafi, and he has some some great bedside manner with her. He says some pretty profound things, too. Like, I really like this scene for him. It's good. But also he's flawed enough to take the bottle with him, you know? Like he's not he's not a cure-all character for other people's problems. He's just as flawed as as they are. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to keep like going back to TNG to draw comparisons, but like TNG 
you know, like almost every character over the course of the show you find out is like an orphan or had yeah. some like horrible shit happen to them in their childhood right. or, uh, you know, like in one way or another, they are all like, they all have pretty dark pasts and are pretty perfect despite it. Yeah. And um, this show is not drawing uh, its characters in that way. It's not coming from the perspective that once we get an economic system that uh, fails no one is uh, like everybody will be happy and perfect. Yeah, everyone's conceived flawed and they stay flawed for sure. Right, which is a very different standpoint on what Star Trek should be about than than what TNG was. But I don't like I don't need it. I don't need it to be consistent personally. No, me neither. Uh, the seed that Narek planted earlier is now sprouting in the next scene. Soji FaceTimes her mom. Uh, she wants to break through the 72nd barrier with her, and she's willing to do whatever it takes to do it, including playing a game of five-finger filet with herself. <laughs> yeah, I think we can all relate to uh, losing consciousness while on the phone with a parent. Yeah, she can't, she can't break through the, the barrier, and, and she falls asleep in, in spite of it. Talking to mom on the phone always induces drowsiness. Yep. Um, what we know is that this is an AI that she's talking to. Right. And it seems like that AI could be inside of her, but it's actually been set up in such a way that, you know, like the, the Romulans are aware that she's like broadcasting signal with somebody off station. So like that part is pretty clever, but the fact that it's always exactly 70 seconds that it takes to knock her out right. seems like kind of an oversight from an OPSEC standpoint. Yeah. They're trying to find their home world, so presumably this transmission is coming from there, right? Yeah. Yeah, you would think. I don't know quite how this works yet. I'm not sure if we're supposed to. What is, yeah, what does it mean, their home world? Because we know that uh, the Maddox's lab got torched. I mean, maybe there's something in the rubble, or maybe the home world is different from the lab. Maybe Maddox went from working from home to uh, to like a WeWork type situation. Oh, yeah. There's an office share in my neighborhood that's like for parents and kids. That sounds terrible. Every time I walk by that place, I'm like, that's probably like two, three years away from me, max. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I hope not. <laughs> Back on the La Serena, uh, they've arrived. They have engaged the Borg, Ben. <laughs> And this is the moment in the episode where I think Sir Patrick Stewart really rises to his character. I think what he is dealing with in these scenes non-verbally, I mean, there is some verbalization of what he's going through, but the expressions that he throws, like his posture, how his posture changes... It is so painful him to, for him to be back there, and it answers a question that you and I have had for a long time. Like, what could it possibly be like to face the worst fear and to and to have your mission be be based aboard your worst fear, basically? Like, uh, like on board his his nightmare, his waking nightmare is where he needs to go. Yeah, he holds on to Daj's necklace uh, for strength. It's, I think illustrative of how serious he is about this mission how much he misses data that he's he's willing to do this because like this is a man that has not faced this fear has not dealt with this trauma 
in the intervening, you know, 27 years or whatever. I think many episodes of Star Trek Picard give you a half an hour of standard pace, and then we're running downhill for the last 20 minutes. And I think (laughs) this is the moment where we start running downhill this episode, like so many others. Indeed. Because back on the cube, Soji wakes up and she's clearly upset by having not won her game of of five-finger filet. She could not stay awake for her mom. And then she starts compulsively digging through her own things. And she's using a scanner and growing more and more frustrated. And I think anyone who's used a scanner for any reason can understand Soji's frustration in using it. Probable age, 37 months. Yeah, I would be concerned that maybe there was something 37 months old in the, like, optical... (laughs) feed of the scanner like oh like yeah there's something jammed in there and it thinks everything's 37 months old or maybe like the 37 is upside down and what we're really thinking is it's supposed to be like 73 or maybe it's it's upside down (laughs) and backwards so so it should be reading something else entirely yeah she's pissed using a scanner is like a usb cable like you always put the paper in wrong the first time before having to flip it right yeah and then it's wrong the second time you're like fuck (laughs) I was right the first time, but it just didn't go. It's impossible. Yeah. Hate it. I'm looking at this scene now. She's got the William Sonoma herb gardens in her quarters, too. I mean, maybe that was a nice gift by Narek, right? I mean, he has plenty. Yeah. (laughs) You might as well give a couple up. Uh, This is a really intense scene. She's uh, really freaking out about it and uh, chucks the scanner at the wall. And then we cut to Picard beaming into the board cube. And uh, no welcoming party for the Admiral retired. He's just in this spooky kind of haunted house feeling space. And then he starts to kind of have like a like a Vietnam flashback kind of thing. Like, and, and these are very quick cuts, but we get images of like the Borg Queen and him as Locutus and uh, fully fledged members of the collective before we realize that he's being... He's being helped on this like guardrail-less walkway yeah. <laughs> that, uh, you know, like the uh, the building code was not observed when they made this walkway and uh, he he uh, comes close to falling off and, and a couple of XBs are are catching him and, and holding him up. And what snaps him out of it is actually Hugh uh, calling out to him. He was uh, really excited to see him. Hugh greets Picard very warmly and it, and it feels amazing after seeing what Picard has been through over the last minute. I think this is a show that knows how we feel about this character and the actor to such an extent that when he's subjected to great pain the way he is in this scene, you it's yeah. a real stomach punch to see it. And when Hugh greets him warmly, like, Ben, we're in the sixth episode of this season. Finally, someone is happy to see Picard. Like, (laughs) I don't think it's happened before on an episode. Yeah, he doesn't say, what the hell are you doing out here, Picard? Right. It's such a pressure release valve when Hugh greets him and they embrace. It's like, finally, like, like this is good and safe. It's it's such a great moment. And it's not just for this episode. It's for this season. Yeah. I guess uh, Zani was pretty happy to see Picard. Yeah. But we don't know Zani. We know Hugh. Right. Right. Hugh, uh, like any good host, gives him the tour. 
you know. <laughs> and Picard is doing like this is more physical acting from Patrick Stewart. Picard is lowering his head so he's not recognized by other people. And the conversation yeah. that Hugh and Picard have during the tour is really heavy stuff. This is this is stuff we've hypothesized about forever. When somebody's giving you a tour of their home, you don't go like, oh, God, what the hell? Why would you move in a place like this? Yeah. But Picard is so traumatized to be there. It's not just uh, this place is a dump kind of vibes like <laughs> no water. It's not like that. It's instead like, how could you live here if you feel the trauma that I feel? And it's a double or tripling down of the conversation that Picard had with Seven of Nine, where they really dig into each other's past and come to some kind of understanding. What we learn about Hugh is that he he's not the leader of the Reclamation Project because he's the best at his job. It really seemed like he was the best of what's left, and he didn't have anywhere else to go, almost. He's got a position of privilege in that he's... Um, uh citizen of the federation right and he's talking about how like the other xbs on the station are subject to romulan rule Mm -hmm. and that like we know that to be quite a bit less egalitarian than that's big what the federation does yeah i also really liked that puckhard had not heard the term xb before Mm -hmm. like he's like the main xb man (laughs) yeah he's the og xb (laughs) <laughs> Hugh has got this place wired almost almost the way that Narek does. Like as Picard is explaining the Soji situation to Hugh, Hugh already has his, has had his suspicions about her and and has seen all the angles. Right. So their their knowledge transfer has been expedited in this scene. We don't have to to watch the episode again with them for them both to be brought up to speed. Yeah. Uh, he was a pretty sharp cookie. Yeah. Um, speaking of sharp cookies, Narek is now like actively suggesting to Soji that she is kind of like a Manchurian android. Mm-hmm. All of the objects that she owns are are fabricated, and he's like, maybe, maybe all of your you know memories are fabricated. Also, they've been implanted, and you're here to do something you don't even know what, like. You're you're being used, and you don't even know what you're being used for, which is, I imagine, in a moment like this, that would be that would be like the most comforting explanation. Like, okay, like, like I'm I have like a finger hold on uh on a reality, even though like my entire past has been stripped away and made a fiction. Like this person is is offering me a way forward, right? Even though he's like he's been super shady this episode, like I, I feel like this episode does a great job of writing the line between him being like openly shady around her and also like making you understand like what the justification is for her, yeah, trusting him or like continuing to extend him little bits of trust. That's a great point. It also makes me think of the Measure of the Man episode because like. At any point, Data could have left the trial with Bruce Maddox, tore his way through the station, stolen a ship, and left. And it Mm -hmm. feels like Soji's a little bit like that. She doesn't have anyone else to trust. I think she's going along with it because she's as as suspicious about herself as Narek might be. Who else is she going to get answers from? If If she's got any hope at all of finding them... I mean, she clearly doesn't know what she is at this point and doesn't 
know that she could tear through everyone and steal a ship and leave, but but maybe some of that is inside <laughs> her, you know, like like play the game to get the knowledge. Yeah. And if such a time arises where I've got to kick some ass, then then maybe that's there for her, buried in her code. Her heavy metal Romulan boyfriend suggests maybe meditation is the way out. Everyone's talking about meditation as a, as a way to fix all your <laughs> mental problems. Uh, yeah, there, there's a uh, a Romulan ritual meditation called Jalmak, and uh, he sings her a little song about it. Adam, he says, "Sleep with one eye open, gripping your tangerine tight." Exit light enters Mac. Take my hand. Tell me all your secrets then. <laughs> that's that's great. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't realize that he had such a beautiful singing voice, you know? Well, I mean, he <laughs> he was using that karaoke machine that pitch corrects a little bit. Like uh, <laughs> the karaoke machine with training wheels. Yeah, I, I, I hope Rob doesn't put any filters of that kind on, on my beautiful singing voice. No, though, no. Because I nailed it. Yours is perfect as it is. We go from the promise of that scene and all the emotions contained therein to some yeah. very different emotions as Hugh continues his tour. When Picard sees the work that they're doing and you see the pride that Hugh has in it, I couldn't help but get a little emotional watching this. And the way that they're described is like, they're like the Borg have always been victims and not monsters. It's easy to see their horde and think of them as, as the monsters that they are by virtue of their actions, but they're all, they're all slaves to this thing. They're not doing it because they want to. Yeah. And that was such an elegant way to put it. This returning to the scene of trauma and then finding a path to redemption there that you didn't expect is such a nice bit of storytelling. And and, and you really feel like Picard is surprised to to be finding this. I really wonder... If there is a moment where they're like, you know who could really get with a scene like this is Seven of Nine? Yeah. And I wonder if the reason they didn't do it was was so that it could be Picard's centerpiece as a character. Like, make this his hmm. story alone. Yeah. It's called Star Trek Picard. It's not called Star Trek Picard, comma, Seven of Nine. <laughs> right. Yeah. I love this scene. And I love, like... The the board give, being given a makeover and they and they spin his barber's chair around so he could <laughs> check out his new eye. That was a really nice moment, and that could have been so cheesy. Yeah, in less caring hands, I think. I think they really got the tone of this right, and I think a lot of it might have to do with the music. There's a lot of that um, that big kettle timpani sound from First Contact. Like when we're on the Borg ship, I think we're hearing that percussion a lot. That, that we're familiar with from that movie specifically. And I don't think that's an accident. Like we're we're grounding it in the music too. It's very familiar in that way. I agree. And I also like that uh, Hugh is a little bit working an angle here. Mm -hmm. They go to this room because this is where Hugh expects to find Soji. And instead she's not there. 
and he discovers he's called in sick. But he also like works in like, hey, like if you could be like speaking about this publicly and like advocating for right. the XBs, like that would be actually pretty awesome because right now, like nobody speaks up for them. Yeah. And Picard's like, God, I didn't come here to get pitched an idea, Hugh. Like, <laughs> you know, I actually don't give uh, on my front porch. Maybe if you could leave a pamphlet, I can take it with me. The last time I spoke in public, it went pretty bad. <laughs> I don't know if you've been uh, following the news. The public speaking does not go well, Hugh. <laughs> so Picard's clearly been in touch with Rios, and Rios marches right into Raffi's room to say that she's lost the bet that they made. You owe me two strips of latinum. The bet being the other twin of Daja's would be alive. But they both hypothesize why in the world Soji would be alive. What would benefit the Tal Shiar or the Jat Vash from, from leaving her alive? Like, they know where she is. They're on to her. Doesn't make sense. No. No, it doesn't. They don't know about this whole homeworld thing. So I think we're going to get an answer to that question here soon because we cut directly to Narek and Soji outside of the Borg yurt where they're going to do uh, their meditation. Mm -hmm. uh, another doorman. Yeah, you don't expect to see the guy in the windbreaker with the neck roll outside of a yurt, but he's like, got to bring a couple more girls, man. Yeah. <laughs> Narek is like, haven't I talked to you already? Steam room is for more than just couples. <laughs> <laughs> but Narek talks his way in by pulling rank. He has something to hold over this guy. Yeah. And this yoga studio is where they're going to do Jal Mach, Ben. This is yeah. this is it. This is where it's a... Uh, Take my hand off to re-glam. Yeah, it's just a whole lot of trust falls and, uh, and, <laughs> and cupping. It's great. Yeah, he's got Reiki, so he's going to do a little bit of that. Narek does that thing where uh, he pays off a... A dialogue tease from earlier, because Soji's like, you know, I know you can't tell me your real name, because that's not what Romulans do unless they they've met their their one true love, and then uh, and then Narek drops his real name on her in this scene, so to encourage her uh, to participate in this ritual. I put on the subtitles in this scene. The name that he gives is spelled H R A I Y A N. Yeah, but he pronounces it. Rien, mm -hmm. which sounds a lot like the French for nothing. Rien. Whoa. It sounds like he's saying nothing. Rien. That's good trivia that I obviously wouldn't have gotten. That name means nothing! <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I read the subtitles! <laughs> Tricking this young girl into meditating in front of you so she reveal her most intimate secret is a war crime! <laughs> I can't do the French voice. It, it's a throat shredder, man. Forget it. That's all I got. You do great. So what Narek gets Soji to do is describe the dream from the cold open. And then Rizzo is behind uh, behind one of those like interrogation mirrors watching the whole thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. She's got the, she's got the surveillance up. And, uh, and so what they get to uh, when they've got, Soji convinced to push past the fear of being yelled at to get out of daddy's lab is that on a slab in, in dad's lab is the wooden artist doll, uh, but it's Soji. She's all in, all in wooden pieces. Um, and she said, it's me. And I wondered, is it, is it her or is it her sister? Like, how does she know? 
Why doesn't that come up? How would she? Why in all of this? Why in all of these like times when she's been scared and feeling alone and needing to deal with her feelings, has she not called her sister? Like as far as we know, she doesn't know that her sister is dead. Whoa, pretty good point. I don't understand that part. Like I think it's kind of a hole at this point that she hasn't turned to her twin sister. That is strange. It's felt weird. (laughs) <laughs> for like a couple episodes now. Did you look at this table and you you see like the torso and some arms and like a and like you know like in a doll you get the the pelvis part. <laughs> but then there's like this big rolling pin. Like why is the wooden crank there? What possible purpose <laughs> could that serve? Maybe Narek's into getting pegged with an actual wooden peg. Narek can't get to completion if he's not taking it in the booty. Right. And so we're going to cross cut between the meditation scene and Picard and Hugh here in pretty rapid succession because from here we go back to Hugh and Picard and they're at Soji's door. They see the room has been tossed and something happens in this scene that I wanted to ask you about, which is we hear that on the PA system that chronometric activity has been detected in parts of the ship. We know what that means, Ben. Yeah. They're creating a temporal vortex. Time travel. When they see the room tossed, though, I think they, they both start to under... Like, they suspect that she's in real danger because Hugh tries yeah. to look for her and they can't find her. They don't know that she's tossed her own room. There's some Star Trek continuity here, which is that, like, we know that you can just ask the computer where somebody is in Star Trek and go straight to them, but almost never is that the first choice. You know, it's always like, I went and fa- like tried to find them and they weren't there, so then I asked the computer. Exactly. And so that's... That's when they ask the computer and they uh, they find that Soji is not listed as being on the station. And and Graniton particles, I think, can also have to do with cloaking. So maybe there's a cloaking field around the yoga studio. The yurt blocks the sensors. Yeah. So back in the meditation scene, Soji pushes past the limit of her dream. The previous limit was when she got into the lab and, and she couldn't quite see past the flowers. Uh, she pushes past that. She pushes past it and sees, like so many awful dreams, like how faces are obscured and uh, and like yeah. distorted, ring-like even. It's, it's scary because her father turns around, gets super mad at her, and we're hearing Narek like press her forward, like encouraging her to keep going, to describe what she's seeing. And she's like looking out the skylight. And she's seeing these two red moons and a bunch of lightning. And and when we cut back to Rizzo, she's like, gotcha, sucker. Like, like that's enough information to locate the home world that they've been looking yeah. for the whole time. It's more like dream logic, right? Because like when yeah. you look out the skylight of a house that's, that has rain dumping on it and you can clearly see moons in the sky. <laughs> that's a great like, point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it seems like actionable enough for, for Rizzo and, uh, seems like Narek has really redeemed himself. Yeah. But Narek has also done that thing where he finally got the conquest of, of the girl in his sights. And after having gotten what he wanted, uh, he tries to freeze her out. Or Star Trek nemesis her out by, uh, opening his little rhombics cube, which, uh, has some pink puffs inside of it. Uh, very, very reminiscent of the Romulan Senate scene at the beginning mm-hmm. of uh, of Nemesis, except for Soji is not going to take this lying down the way those senators and Romulan commanders did. 
She uh, she starts beating the shit out of the floor of the studio until she's punched a hole through it, like a huge hole. It's great. Do you feel like this is activation or is this her feeling herself? Maybe not not an insightful synthetic, but what else can she do but pound the ground? And then she realizes the strength and then goes through. I think she's activated because like later she can like she has like heightened hearing and stuff. Oh right. Like, I guess the scene that makes me question whether or not she's been activated is that when she meets Picard and Hugh, after having jumped through that hole, she doesn't like tear all of their heads off and <laughs> and like go totally Wolverine. Oh, interesting. I was kind of surprised in the other way because Dodge, like when she closed her eyes, would picture Picard. Like Picard was the only person right. she felt safe around. Okay. And I thought, I thought it like... Like they had to pick something, right? Like how how much is she gonna like automatically trust Picard? And I was a little bit surprised at how reticent she was at first. Yeah, yeah. I love when Hugh and Picard are, are running to to find Zoji, and like somebody recognizes Locutus, like Yo, Locutus, I haven't seen you in years. What's going on, man? That moment raised so many questions for me because if that guy recognized Locutus, wouldn't everyone recognize him because of the shared collective knowledge yeah that struck me as strange that 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 person was the only one to do that well the you know different people are act differently around celebrities you know yeah some people uh, go up and inter- interrupt their dinner and and others uh others are like oh yeah like that's cool that we saw that person if you were a, an xb ben you would have sat down right next to picard and you wouldn't have said anything yeah <laughs> i would have i would have been two inches from picard for a, a 45 minute airplane flight and I wouldn't have spoken up. It's a foot race here, and Picard and Hugh beat the horde of Romulans that are that are chasing Soji down. Uh, when they finally meet up, Picard is able to get through to her and gain her trust. Yeah, he has to do it really quickly, but he's able to do it. And uh, I think that probably Hugh being with Picard helps. Yeah, I think it definitely does. Hugh knows about something that's going on in the queen cell, which Picard immediately recognizes. Um, the Borgs apparently uh, assimilated the Sicarians, uh, which are an, uh, a group of aliens from an episode of Voyager. There's an episode of Voyager where they like run into some aliens that have technology that could. I don't. I think it's like not quite enough to get them home, but it's like. It's enough to like cut their trip in half or something. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a reverse prime directive episode where they're like, hey, can we use this technology to like get home? And they're like, oh, no, like we actually have rules against that. And um, I, I, I remember it as being like a, a actually a really good episode of Voyager. And I liked the, the reference here. I have not seen much of Voyager at all and did not get the reference. When I heard Sicarian, I, I was thinking of Iconian. And the Iconian gateway oh, from yeah. TNG. And so I was like, uh, yeah, man, like walk through that gate, go straight to Canada. <laughs> you should be doing. You'll be safe there. Yeah. Just wait till it cycles to Paris and then walk on through. Pretty great. And so much story here in so little time in this queen cell, Ben. I, I love it. I love how Hugh is like taking down and putting up these wild walls in the board cube. It's, it's totally uh, reconfigurable to him. Yeah. Caught up in the action of this scene is Elnor, who has disappeared from the La Serena and has beamed over yeah. to the artifact. 
And Picard has been saying like, hey, like uh, we're going to get out of here by other means, but meet up with us. And that's going to be a planet. They give the, the name of the planet as Nepenthe. Right. Which I wonder if it's in the same system as Rurapenthe. Yeah. There are even fewer stockades on Nepenthe. <laughs> they haven't even heard of electronic frontiers right. on Nepenthe. <laughs> But uh, yeah, Elnor is there on the cube with them. He somehow transported himself, and uh, and his, he quickly dispatches three Roms that uh, were way ahead of the the rest of the horde that is bearing down on them. You know what I love about what we're learning about Elnor is that all he knows how to do is kill someone in a disgusting dismemberment fashion. <laughs> and I'm so glad it's him because it's such a great counterpoint to his innocence, right? Like he is, yeah. he's like big, right? He's Tom Hanks and big, except he's the killing machine <laughs> version of that. Yeah. yeah. He's like if Tom Hanks and big had like 80 bodies. Yeah. That's what it is. And I love that counterpoint in him. I think, I think it would be dark and gross if Elnor was a serious adult man uh, with serious ideas and, and, and had that sort of like darkness tinge to him. If he was like world weary the way. The way Rios is. Yeah, but because Elnor is Tom Hanks from Big, uh, like the the gore goes down a little easier to me, I think. Picard can't convince Elnor to come with them uh, because Elnor wants to uh, defend their retreat. So he and Hugh stay behind while Picard and Soji go through the gate. I was sad about this. I wanted everyone to go. Yeah, why didn't Hugh just go with them? Yeah, I wanted Hugh to go. But Hugh probably feels responsible for all the XBs there. He's trying to get them freed. Yeah. That's real needs of the many outweigh the needs of the couple of guys, including Picard. They shut down the gate and then hide the room back up. And uh, we end on black and just hear Elnor urging some Romulans to choose to live. (laughs) Pretty great ending. I love how they're doing a lot of that L edit type stuff, right? We're getting dialogue hanging over the end of scenes, and this is one of them. Did you like the episode, Adam? I think this was my favorite of the season so far, really. Wow. I I really loved it a lot, and I think it was for those scenes with Picard and Hugh. I was really, really affected by them uh, in a profound way. I didn't know how much I wanted to hear those things from those characters that that shared experience they have was was really profound and i mean like we were saying before it should have been interrogated so much more in tng than we than we ever got so it's just really great to experience that now that we have the chance again what about you yeah i really liked it too i um i had to confess i watched it the first time like Usually my process for the show is I'll watch it once without my notebook and then watch it again with my notebook. And I feel like I enjoyed it more the second time I watched it. Like it, if for some reason, like didn't quite click for me the first time. Um, but, but yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was uh, a strong and interesting app. Yeah. I wonder if we have any strong and interesting priority one messages though. Oh, I bet we do. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Uh, Adam, we have a couple of P1s here. The first one is of a personal nature. It's from Joey. It's to all LGBT Trek fans everywhere. Goes like this. Liking Star Trek is gay culture, but we're happy to share it with Ben, Adam, and the friends of DeSoto. That's very generous. 
Anyway, here's the Chris Brenner drop. <laughs> I'm Chris Brenner. Brenner Information Systems. You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. That Chris Brenner. <laughs> Excellent job. Look at you putting the quarters into the drop machine. Nice. Yeah. I, I like I like the cut of Joey's jib. Me too. Thank you for sharing this part of gay culture with us. Yeah, I didn't... I mean, I'm glad we didn't have to ask permission. Yeah. Or forgiveness. We we may have inadvertently done cultural appropriation, but uh, I'm glad that we're in the clear. Yeah. At least from Joey's perspective. Ben, our second priority one message is from Alex. It is to you and me. The message goes like this. Discovery and you two got me back into Star Trek. I was a TOS wow. kid who never took to TNG, but now I'm working through DS9 with you and loving all Shimoda properties. Thanks so much. Cool. Can I suggest you check out Dagger of the Mind for bonus content? It was the first ep that caught the interest of a kid who was too lazy to change the channel. Huh. Dagger of the Mind. TOS episode, I presume? That's a first season TOS episode. So, uh, yeah, we should, we should look into that. Good wreck. Often in the greatest discovery offseason, we'll dip back into TOS apps, but it's hard to predict what the show will become as, as more new Star Trek episodes come down the pipe. Yeah. Well, uh, something very useful that comes down the pipe weekly are the Priority One messages, and they are what sustain the show financially. You can get one of your own by going over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. And as I said, they are the only way that this show gets made. <laughs> if we're not going to sell any ads on it. They are f- far from being the only way, because we also have generous monthly support from the people who go to MaximumFun.org slash join. That's true. R- Rob, take all that ad. I'm wrong. I'm dead wrong. <laughs> But all of it. I'm, I'm grateful Leave it for in, it. Rob. I want, I want this on the record. Adam was wrong. I'm, uh, I'm grateful for all the support, obviously. Can't do it without it. Thank you. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place. 
and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? I did. Uh, I don't want to be accused of biting your rhyme here, but my Edward Larkin is Rios. All right. In this episode. And it's because uh, he, he finishes a workout. He's obviously like winded at the end of his soccer ball workout. And he goes for a flask. He doesn't get water first. Oh, no. He starts hitting the sauce immediately after a workout. It seems like a very unsatisfying post-workout beverage, like like the cookie dough Gatorade of, of SNL. <laughs> also, like, wouldn't you get an instant headache if you hit booze after a workout? Yeah. I just don't understand him. I don't understand how he could be, like, 10 times more shredded than I am and also drink as problematically as he does. And he's not even the most problematic drinker on the show. No, he sure isn't. Not by a long shot. Wow. Adam, did you have an Edward Larkin? Yeah, I'm going to give it to Elnor, I think for reasons stated. Like the, uh, I mean, <laughs> to to borrow a, a drop from the hit podcast, Friendly Fire, he is a hell of a combination <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of extreme violence and extreme innocence. And uh, all of his in-butts and out-butts and how he, he totally copped uh, Gerardi and Rios having been freshly fucked. He's so capable and so innocent at the same time. He's just an incredible character that I'm I'm getting to be a really big fan of. So, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a Rios man. 
through and through, uh-huh. have been the entire season, but I'm going to give this one sure. this time to Elnor. Okay. I'm glad I didn't uh, step on your territory no. this time. No way. We uh, we saw a little uh, little promo for the next episode. Uh, it looks like uh, Hugh gets in fairly fairly serious trouble with Rizzo, and it looks like uh, this is going to be the episode where Picard meets up with uh, with Troy and Riker. Uh, what are the chances that Riker and Troy have chosen to live on Nepenthe in their oh. retirement? Is that what's happening, or or did they did Picard? And uh, Soji go to Nepenthe and then go to Lake Armstrong or something. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if that is Nepenthe, Nepenthe looks an awful lot like the heaven that Kirk builds for himself in in Star Trek Generations. Yeah. Crazy band of energy in space. I mean, he's retired well. If that's his version of heaven, good for him. (laughs) Picard uh, is like, I keep meeting people in houses like this and asking them to come help me beat up old men. My my particular kink is being called a, a dillweed by other captains. <laughs> wow, well that sounds great. I'm um I couldn't be more excited to uh, meet up with Riker again. I, I are you just going to mute all the scenes with him? Uh, keep a safe distance from everything Frakes related. No, if it's mediated by television, I'm perfectly happy to see what Frakes has to say. All right, that's good. That's really yeah. good. It would be hard to do the show. Any other way. Uh, Well, that will be next week, and we'll leave it with Robs from here. Hard to do the show without Robs. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast, hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. The show is produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is produced by Friend of DeSoto and YouTube sensation Adam Ragusea. The Greatest Discovery is a podcast that's made possible by the support of listeners like you. To make sure that we continue to make episodes, visit MaximumFun.org slash join and pledge your support. By doing so, you'll gain access to all of the Maximum Fun bonus content, including our bonus episodes. If you want to chat about the show on various forms of social media, just search for our discussion groups or use the hashtag Greatest Discovery. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR. Adam is found at Cut for Time, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks. Hey, hold on a second. I gotta talk to John. Okay. You really want to make the show? Yeah, I want to. I want to be on this show so I can add a little bit of critical thinking mm-hmm. to it. <laughs> yeah. You guys are fanboys, and yeah. Anyway. I'm going to open the garage door. It's going to be loud. Mm -hmm. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.